Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge and join with Shelly Billinghurst. I get the opportunity here to introduce our guest today, um, someone I've been looking forward to talking to. We have Alex Murphy, CEO of JobSync. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. So we're going to dive right in because Alex, I, I creeped you a bit on, on LinkedIn. And of course, I know a little bit about JobSync because I've had a wonderful opportunity to meet some people on your team. But we usually start by letting the audience hear a little bit about the real Alex Murphy. <laughs> Can you take <laughs> us through your journey and uh, how did you ever land in the talent acquisition industry? I guess I started in this industry and I think I got pulled into it because of a startup that I was involved with about 20 or so years ago. I was one of the co-founders of job.com back in 2001, a very different job.com than it is today. And that was uh, a great opportunity to learn a lot about what happens in recruitment Prior to that, I was very focused on sales and marketing and was always intrigued by how the world of recruitment modeled sales and marketing tactics, but mm -hmm. just did it often very late. And, mm -hmm. and so that fast forward 20 years later, and we're working on JobSync and we are applying a lot of the things, or at least in the beginning, we're thinking about applying things that happen in marketing to the world of recruitment. Not a very long tail, if you will, but just got involved because of getting engaged with a new startup about 20 some years ago. Okay. What have you found of the recruitment industry being an outsider coming in 20 years ago, then coming back in? What's the biggest surprises of the recruitment industry? So it's an interesting that there's a longer discussion in that. I spent five years at job.com and then I went into the e-commerce world and, and did a little bit of a turnaround with a, a retail company and then came back and was involved with a venture-backed company out of Philadelphia called Beyond, which is now Next, and ran traffic acquisition, new user acquisition at Beyond. And I guess the thing that's interesting is, especially now with JobSync, every single company approaches talent acquisition differently than the other. It's a real uh, conundrum for people that are selling services, be it a job board or a software platform or anything else. It's really difficult to sell uh, efficiently to talent acquisition because every customer has very different needs and the way that they approach recruitment is very unique. And that's totally different than marketing. <laughs> what do you Mark think that is? Yeah, talk more. I have come to the conclusion and I think I know the answer to this question actually now. When you start a company and you think about getting customers, you go to data providers like ZoomInfo that have large sets of very normalized, very structured data, right? And so you start your marketing file using the data structure that a ZoomInfo or some other similar type of data provider gives you. And that's the structure that you follow. 
name, email, address, et cetera, 300 data points, very structured. When you start a company and you start recruiting, the founders recruit first from the people that they know, and they start building up this structure of data in their human resources. First, it's very ambiguous and not defined at all, but it's centered around the viewpoint that the founders have. And then they start applying their own logic to how they approach management to the data that they capture about their employees. Mm. And that grows from when you have a, a handful to a dozen, to 20, to 30, and now all of a sudden you're putting formal structures, but it's all built on top of that original set of values, thoughts, structure that the founders had. And by the time you get to a place where you you have non-founders involved in recruiting, they are reflecting the founders' original ideas. And by that point, the data set, if you will, about the employees and prospective employees is different for that company than it is for any other company that exists. Mm-hmm. And that then continues as they become a company that's larger and larger. And then ultimately they start selecting systems and they put into the requirements that the fields have to be of a certain structure presented in a certain way. And then ultimately it's just, it's a hyper unique setup. And then that gets represented in things like applicant tracking systems and CRMs where they have to allow for customization to meet the needs of this particular company. And the needs of that company are just they're the needs of that company, of no other company. <laughs> Interesting perspective, because you're right. A great majority of when a founder starts a company, they have very set principles that are trying to recruit. And that usually works well until they get to 20 recruits. They get to the point, they either get funding, now they need to get to 40, 80, doubling every year. The principles of change and how you approach recruitment change dramatically. A culture with 20 employees is not going to be the same culture as 100 employees and on, and the systems just get complex. And that's what's interesting about JobSync. Where does JobSync really fit in? What problem are you trying to fix in the industry and uh, what your approach to the market is? Yeah, I'm going to back up a little bit and just say what the original idea was versus today's idea, if you will, as we evolve and react to our customers' needs, wants, desires, if you will. The original thesis, and it, this still holds true, it's just are it tends to be the leading reason why people start to work with us. But the original thesis was really around addressing really poor conversion rates from your recruitment advertising. But depending upon whose data you're looking at, I could use AppCast as a great one, I think. The conversion rate of people that start the process of trying to apply for a job when they find that job on a job site like Indeed or any other job site. And ultimately when they are going to apply on an ATS, the conversion rate is 5%. And and if you were a marketer and you said our conversion rates are 5%, the marketer would be fired because that's really bad. A low end reasonable number really is 20%. One in five people that say that have searched, right? That means they're very engaged. They're called, in a marketer's term, they're in market. They've reviewed the job listing, right? This long form hyper emphasis on text. And they've said, I want to apply. And they click that apply on company website button. 
and one out of 20 actually apply, <laughs> that's awful. And so we wanted to solve for that. And we do. When we engage with a company like ZipRecruiter or Indeed or Facebook, and we have the application happen on the job site rather than on the ATS, the conversion rates are more like 20, 30, 40%, not 5%. Hmm. Um, what's interesting is that as time has gone on, that removal of friction from the application process has also removed friction and time wasted for recruiters. We actually won an award from Nucleus Research last year. We were part of their 2020 ROI awards because we help companies remove 10 hours of manual time from a recruiter's week and that they can then use to talk to and engage with candidates instead. And that removal of wasted time has really transformed what we're doing as a company. And we really are bringing together the various systems that companies use. So the average enterprise organization has more than 12 different systems they use for recruiting. And most of that data is locked in those systems. And it's not actionable. Uh, it's not cross-referenceable between the systems. And we're building these connections between those systems so that the data can flow in an automated way so that the data can then be enabled and enable things to happen within the organization and help that recruiter, those recruiters get out of being Excel jockeys and instead can actually engage in the day that doing the tasks that they're, that they were hired for, which is to engage with candidates. So I want to talk a little bit more about this, what kind of uh, spurred the action into your ROI awards. Do you have a story or you don't have to name names or you can name names, but tell us what they went from and to when, once they started using JobSync, what was happening and what is now happening? Because I'm trying to think getting that much time back in my day sounds like an awfully big promise. <laughs> How did it happen, Alex? How does it happen? So the funny part about the story about the award is that we actually had submitted because we thought that the impact we had on recruitment advertising was so huge that it would be an easy thing to measure. And, and Nucleus is a, a research company, right? They're an analyst. Mm -hmm. So we thought, go in, look at the ROI on the recruitment and advertising spend. And so as they dug deeper, what they found was actually the, the bigger ROI was actually in the reduction of time spent managing applications. Because previously, the company would receive these applications in by email. We are delivering them directly into their applicant tracking system. The recruiter's able to interact with that candidate in the ATS in real time as soon as the candidate hits apply, the applicant's data is in the ATS within three seconds. And because they didn't have to manage it out of the email, they didn't right. have to sort within email, all of a sudden they can advance the candidates and they have a process improvement that's just very dis discreet and measurable. Whereas measuring the impact on recruitment advertising is actually a little bit more nebulous and difficult because what was happening last week with your with your ad spend is different than what's happening this week because the market has changed. The jobs themselves have changed. Mm -hmm. But what the recruiters are spending their time on, right? That's very clear and very discreet. So they gave us the award for something that we didn't even really realize that we we didn't fully understand or appreciate what it was that we were doing, which is cool for sure. As far as what was happening before, like I said, the candidate 
would submit the application, let's say on Indeed, and it would show up in their inbox. And so the recruiter was manually posting jobs on Indeed so that they could use Indeed Apply so that they would actually get more exposure. So manually posting the jobs, manually dealing with the applications coming into their email, all of that time's gone. Now they just, they wake up in the morning, they log in and they can see applicants in real time. Got it. Okay. Thank you. I'm now connecting the dots here. Awesome. Before you jump in, Shelly, just want to dig in deeper on that. So most ATS now have the Indeed Apply or LinkedIn Apply as part of the functionality. How has that changed your business? So I will say it like this. I think there are a lot of ATSs that have them. I'm not sure that I would go with most. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Uh, And then there are different variations of the theme. A lot of companies have screening questions for their job postings and that applicant tracking system may or may not have integrated the ability to host screening questions within Indeed Apply. But you think about it, there's this spectrum of how that works. And, and I would say that there's this thing called Easy Apply, right? Which is like name, email, and a CV. Mm-hmm. And then there's actually something that's a little bit higher level, which we would refer to really as being a full native application experience, meaning the screening questions, the knockout questions in the state's EEO types of questions, any type of terms, e-signature, that type of thing, having that entire application happen on the job site has a radical impact on actual completed applications, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to a lead. That's just very, it's a very different outcome. And so what we do that is fairly unique and distinct is we capture all of the requirements for job posting in order, in terms of what is needs to be presented to the candidate, what the questions are, what the available answers are, the order in which that is presented. And we can represent that on a number of different job sites so that the, the candidate experience is virtually the same, whether they apply on Indeed or they apply on the ATS. And that helps ensure that you are creating this uniform application experience, which then means that you are in compliance in the States, as an example, in order to be compliant for OFCCP, the application experience has to be virtually the same. You can't have a different experience for women and men, as an example. That means that you need to present virtually the same way everywhere that you take an application in. I'll say on the enterprise level, right? Very few enterprise ATSs integrate and support and apply. That's really where our bread and butter is. Mid, mm. Upper mid-market, 100 or more open jobs con- on a continuing basis, which means that you've got 1,000 or more employees for sure, probably more like 5,000 or up employees. So was this born out of the fact that there was such a majority of the market using these enterprise systems? And I'm thinking of, there's a few name brands that have made the application process excruciating. Is that why this became such an issue? When I see numbers like 5% apply, like really, you don't have to look too far to see why I'm going to bail out of a process that takes me 45 minutes and I can't go back a screen and I can't go forward a screen. I can't see what you're going to need from me next. Like it's just such a brutal experience. And I'm talking about the enterprise applicant tracking systems, right? So is that really where 
JobSync was born out of the fact that you guys got to do something. Once a, an organization is say even five years into their new ATS and it's one of those big boys that costs them potentially millions, they're not going to bail out. So is, is that kind of where JobSync was born? Yeah. So I'll say in particular, it was born out of the fact that 20 years ago, if you ran a job board, you controlled the ability for you to deliver your product because mm-hmm. you the application took place on the job site, right? Used to, yeah, in the old days. And I remember <laughs> the fir- my first experience posting a job on Monster was an IT role in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Post the job at one o'clock in the afternoon. I've got 200 awesome applicants by five. They're all in my inbox. And so what happened over the course of the next five years is that the applicant tracking systems worked with employers to be able to dictate the requirement to job board operators to have the applicant leave the job board and go mm-hmm. to the ATS. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then OFCCP came along and said, you have to ask all these EEO questions. And then recruiters then got the power to ask more and more questions, thinking, I know what I'll do. I'll screen everybody out so that I only have to talk to the people that are really perfect. And you asked the question earlier about what's different in TA versus marketing, consumer internet land. Yeah. In consumer internet land, the people that write the code and design the product do something that's called eating their own dog food. The people that built Slack first for themselves the people that built Amazon to be able to buy products themselves, they make the product better because they are users of the product. Mm. The people that build ATSs don't apply to jobs on their ATSs because they're not looking for work. Oh my God. That is so, that is brilliant. Alex, that is absolutely brilliant. I just had a lightning bolt strike me. Thank you. Because it's so true. If even we say new talent acquisition leaders, the first thing you should do is try and apply to your own system. No, but you shouldn't do that. You should apply to 25 other jobs. Yeah. Then apply to a job on your own system where you feel the real pain of having done it 25 times before. Yes. Before you get to your system. How many people want to create a password that's got special character, uppercase, lowercase, mm-hmm. can't be, can't have any words that oh, are in the dictionary, has to be at least 12 characters long. And then you get it <laughs> wrong four times in a row. Like and in our, in our investor deck, yeah. oh, I have, God. this is what it looks like in recruitment is you're on Indeed and then you're on this page and then you're on the ATS and you, I've got nine things wrong with my password. And like the next screen is that you're on TikTok. Because you're like, this sucks. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna apply to a job here. I'm gonna go look at great videos and cats and see people make basketball shots on TikTok instead. 19 yeah. out of 20 people drop out of the process because the process sucks. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You'll see that anytime that it's asking to register before you apply, the drop-off rate is gonna go up dramatically here enter your resume now enter all the information that's you just submitted on your resume we'll just copy it exactly the same and and 60 percent of the time if you could please do this on a mobile phone 
Yeah, exactly. On a non-responsive website. So right. uh, marketing eats their own dog food. Recruitment chews their own arms off. Something like this, right? <laughs> God, we did. And- so if recruiters have done this all to kind of screen people out rather than screen people in. Yeah, you get what you pay for. Because well, that's what you bought. So just think about the cascading set of unintended consequences in this. So at the very end of the day, it's who are the people that drop out? They're the people Your you top want. candidates. Right? I know. We I, just I, like shoot our own arm people, off. The, the one out of 20 that make it are the professional job seekers. Mm-hmm. They know how to get through. They know what's there. And by the way, nobody was ever taught on how to search for a job nor apply to a job online. And we've done it to ourselves. And so the job board operators have looked at this because they're more marketer than they are TA. Mm-hmm. They've looked at the ATSs and said, this is awful, right? Yeah. This is a terrible process. And they lost control of the product that they sell. You transact on a job hosting. I listened to a bit of the interview you had with Terry, right? And you mentioned that people in TA are used to spending X amount of dollars for 30-day job posting, you get what you get. And even if it's programmatic, you spend X amount of dollars per week, per click, per applicant, et cetera, you get what you get. Whatever that transaction is that's happening with the job board, that's the method to get to what it is that you're buying. What you're buying as a recruiter, as a TA professional recruitment marketer, whatever, what you're buying from the job board is access to somebody you can hire. Mm-hmm. That's what you're buying. And when the job board lost control of the ability to generate access to somebody that you can hire, job boards became less relevant. And so between 2008 and 2012, the drum started to beat about job boards are dead. Mm-hmm. Job boards still happen to be the place that receives the most amount of funding. They still are the primary source outside of uh, referral-based hires. If you're taking a proactive position on hiring people, job boards are the number one source. For all of those people that think that their career site is actually the number one source of hires, sorry, people found your career site because of job boards. The job board lost control of the ability to generate applicants. Our team is very heavily job board operator-centric and with a variety of perspectives came at it from that perspective about solving that problem for really starting in the early days for job boards. But what what we've realized is that, in fact, it's actually a much, much bigger problem for the employer. Mm -hmm. Because you fast forward to today, everybody is in dire straits to find more applicants because they don't have enough applicants in in order to fill their open recs. And while that affects job boards to a degree, what's ironic is that you now have job boards like Indeed and ZipRecruiter and and so forth having their greatest months ever from a revenue perspective in a shortage of candidates. And why? Because they charge more because it's a marketplace. So Mm -hmm. supply, demand, what happens if supply goes down, demand goes up, price goes up. That's very much the situation that we're in today. So I, I love how you've morphed over the years based on either what your clients are looking for and the industry is changing quickly. What's your vision in the next few years for JobSync? Do you have anything you can reveal? Sure. I think what we are very focused on is how to bring speed into the marketplace. So speed in terms of getting jobs up, mm-hmm. getting applicants into 
recruiters' hands in terms of bringing together partnerships where we can enable faster contact. There are a number of these things that happen today. I'll just give a couple of examples. The black hole of the ATS, meaning like that candidates don't even ever get a response other than the, we received your application, autoresponder comes in, great. But then they never find out whether or not they actually got considered, whether they were reviewed, whether their application is currently effective. That's bad behavior. We want to help enable people to respond back, push the information back to the candidate faster, be able to review that candidate faster, engage and talk to and communicate with that, that candidate faster. So we have a, a new partnership with Pivot CX, their texting platform, where we've got a client going through an integration right now where an application will come in from Indeed or ZipRecruiter elsewhere. We deliver the applicant into the texting platform, into Pivot CX. Their recruiters can then engage and talk to that candidate in seconds after an application rather than like next week because the candidate's hot right now. Mm-hmm. It, again, in marketing lingo, you think about a half-life of a lead as right. being measured in minutes right? The likelihood of getting in communication with a candidate, with a marketing lead. Marketers think about this as being like, we need to be in touch with that lead within two minutes. If we're not in touch with that lead within two minutes, the likelihood of us ever talking to that person drops by 50%. Wow. And recruiters don't reach out for days. (laughs) Often to a, I don't remember replying to your job because I'm quick applying to everything or whatever. We see speed in communication, speed in evaluation, speed in assessment, speed to to a full slate Mm -hmm. as being a major milestone. We want to think about it from the perspective of the recruiter. I want a full slate of applicants that are, this is a David Bernsteinism, interested and interesting (laughs) and capable of doing the work. Yes. Right? that they are interesting to us. They are available for work right now. We are interested in them. Can we get to a full slate of candidates that fit fit that criteria? How fast can we get to them? Can we get there in a day? Can we get there in three days? Can we reduce our time to slate by 50%, whatever it is today, and be even more radical than that, bring it down to a 90% reduction in time? We were talking about this a couple shows back as far as just the experience of recruiters. And if we think about recruiters, we're talking about HR people as well that will wait, still wait 30 days before they actually start reaching out to candidates. They'll wait till the posting is done. Then they'll start calling candidates. Like you've said, basically, if you're waiting in this market, you're screwed in so many ways because those candidates are going to be gone. So that's a behavior on the recruitment side that I think we have no choice to move a lot quicker than we've had in the past. And using the marketing principles, you're not getting a hold of them. Maybe it's not five minutes like marketing, but within the same day, you're probably never going to talk to them or how engaged they will when they talk to you is going to change dramatically. So wanted to jump to another topic. If we think about it, there's so much money 
that is being spent on HR tech and talent acquisition tech right now. You being on the inside, what do you see? What are the trends coming up in talent acquisition tech for the next little while? I think that there are a number of companies that have made a hard push to try to build all-in-one systems. And that doesn't seem to meet what most customers want. Most customers want something that's much more specialty oriented. So I love the Talent Tech Labs ecosystem bubble chart, right? It's like 36, 38 different categories. They track 2,500 different technology solutions that are going concerns with either material revenue or having raised material money. And I think there's going to be more of that because most of those solutions come from a place where somebody had an itch that they wanted to go scratch. And the cost to start a new company it goes less and less. And as the cost to start a company goes down and the identity of problems not solved goes up, then that just is an invitation for more and more new companies. And then that fuels more and more consolidation, right? Because with more small players getting a little bit of traction, selling to three, five, 10 customers, getting to 20 and 50 and 100 and 500 customers is much more difficult. So you bring together, well, we've got 10, you've got 10, they've got 10, let's get together and have 30, right? And be a more complete solution. And take the three businesses that we've started that maybe are just individual features, and we start to build a suite. And so then you start to see more things that kind of grow and grow in terms of their offering. I just think that's going to happen at an accelerated rate. There's so much money, not just in our ecosystem, There's so much money, period. The amount of money supply that has been pushed into the economy is largely held on the balance sheet of companies that are investing in doing things like hiring more people to go start up new things and deploy more technologies. And there's been this constant fear about what's going to happen with AI, it's going to take jobs, et cetera. No, it requires people to go implement things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so more people are needed in order to bring forth the vision that all of these companies have to go do more things. It just creates more demand and accelerates it. What I will say is a, is a gating element to that. You go back to in-person events, Unleash and HR Tech and Sherm Talent, et cetera, and you walk the floor and it's everybody has the same model business financial model. How much is it going to cost to implement? 20 to $30,000. Okay. How long do I have to be committed for? Two to three years. Okay. How much is it per year? $50,000. It doesn't matter if they sell shoes or widgets or hair ties. It's like $50,000 a year, every year, and you're committed for multiple years. So the buyer has 12 systems that are each $50,000 a year and or more. And they have to make these decisions. I say it's gating because like they can't make that call on their own. They have to engage their CFO. They have to engage other stakeholders. And I will be interested to see if what like what we're doing takes hold more. Our implementation fee is $1,000 or less and your commitment is 30 days because we want to earn your business every month and it starts at $200. We want to make the ability for you to say yes to work with us be the easiest thing that you do this month. Because if if our promise is that we're going to help you get a 3x lift in applicants 
in your first week from your existing job ad spend. And we require roughly a $1,200 commitment. That's probably worth the investment to get started. And our long-term bet, we don't make money unless you're a customer of ours for six months or more. Our long-term bet is that not only will you see it, but you're going to ask for it more and more. And you're going to think about the spend on JobSync as being like electricity. You, neither one of you thought about whether or not the ROI would be worth it when you turned the power on for your computer this morning. Did you? No. That was worth it. The ROI on the electric bill is always worth it. And the ROI for JobSync is always worth it. So tell us then, how can audience members find you? Where do they need to look? Can they reach out to you? They need to go talk to Mr. California, Mr. (laughs) Steven Seagal of Talent Acquisition is always open. But the, so yeah, so come to our website, which is Mm jobsync.io. And so you can schedule a call with us there. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm easily found at linkedin.com slash amurphy59 or just look up Alex Murphy Job Sync. Mm-hmm. Uh, be careful. There are a lot of Alex Murphys out there, yes. uh, including Robocop yes, there and are. rugby players. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah. the uh, We're we are a common bunch is probably the easiest way to put it. And then my email address is amurphy at jobsync.io, which is generally the hardest way to get me, but, but a worthwhile one nonetheless. Alex, I really appreciate it. At the end of the day, I think myself and Shelly are big fans of JobSync. I think there's yeah. a great application to it in the market. Being a practitioner myself, the ability to simplify making the candidate process a whole lot better, which is what we're trying to accomplish. At the end of the day, I just want more qualified candidates and how I get there. I don't really care. I'm looking for the best, cheapest way to give that experience so I get more candidates. So Alex, a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.